0: Welcome everybody, this is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week we're doing Emma. We've done Jane Austen before, but way early. Episode four. (laughs) Whoa. And this is episode 62. (laughs) But we'll cover a little bit more about it. So we're getting a little bit back into Jane Austen. There was a new film. Emma was just uh, released earlier this year. It is now out on Video On Demand. uh, The quarantine. Readily available. So while we're all stuck inside, Emma is out there. I just watched it. Honestly, it was a breath of fresh air. It was really, really fresh. I was kind of... I was kind of dreading it, but just because it's period and, and right. I know that they're gonna take the language very seriously. and I you know just I have to like prep myself for that but like, I'll okay, post a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll post a link to the trailer because the trailer is is marvelous. It sets the tone perfectly. Mm. Uh, oh, I just
0: see I didn't watch it. I didn't
1: even yeah, think, but, but watch definitely it check either. out our links in the show notes. Look at the trailer because this feels very, very fresh. sort of a Wes Andersony oh you comedy yeah. take
0: on it. Very stylized. Which... Uh, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, I It was lovely. It just was, was outright lovely. And it's a first-time director, Autumn Wilde. I've uh, not seen too much from her. She's done the Florence and the Machine video <laughs> right. uh, that, that I've seen. But other than that, I believe this is her first feature. And I've yeah. just got to say hats off to that. This is a detailed movie that lives in the glances between people and reactions That's what cinema is about. That's what cinema can do that a book can't do hardly. And this movie lives and breathes on that, on on just that substance.
1: Yeah. So I looked a little bit into her. She is known as, like you said, music videos photographer. Her father is known for his photos of Jimi Hendrix. Oh, really? And she followed in the footsteps and has photographed album covers for tons and tons of people, but just some names that you might know. Miranda Cosgrove, Elliot Smith, The White Stripes, Beck. Uh, She directed music videos for The Decembrists. Ingrid Michaelson, Death Cab for Cutie. Okay. She did live concert work for Arcade Fire and The Flaming Lips. She's so she's got, done a yeah, lot. Yeah. She's got that music sensibility, yeah. but like you said, this is her directorial debut in
0: terms of a film, and with, it's straight up period too. I mean, and yeah. down to the language, this is really dense language stuff. Uh, at times, I I get kind of lost in waiting in it, but most of the time, it's, I'm, I'm getting right to what they're trying to say. That's really hard to do a film that kind of takes it that seriously that I felt was more dense and harder to get into was something like The Witch by Robert Eggers. They take that, yeah. that the, the period uh, language incredibly seriously in that mm-hmm. movie. I would say Emma does it almost as well As that, I would say it exceeds just because it really is cluing you into what they are trying to say and what jokes are being made under the surface all the time. Like a good Shakespeare play. You're like, if you just read it, you're like, well, I don't, like in high school, you're like, I don't know what in the world
1: the joke is here, (laughs) but it's all in the enunciation and the expressions of the characters. I will say that the screenwriter for this, another lady, Eleanor Catton, who is from New Zealand. I tried to find online how these two got connected Mm -hmm. to do this project, but I couldn't find
0: anything. So if anybody knows about that. It's a mystery. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, mean, you look at her IMDB page and the movie looks a bit like a mystery because she's done all these, you know, concerts, music, you know, music videos, those types of things. And then, but like now she's got this big movie with like people. In it. And, the, and so,
1: yeah, the screenwriter, Eleanor Catton, who's from New Zealand, she is a author, novels. She hasn't written a screenplay Interesting. The, her second novel, what she's known for, is called The Luminaries, and it won the Man Booker Prize in 2013. Two notable things for that. She was 28 years old, so she's the youngest person ever to win that award. Wow. And the book, That's The stagnant. Luminaries, is 823 pages, so it's also the largest book ever to win oh my gosh. that award and she said in an article that she'd never read the novel before being approached to adapt Oh it. wow, that's yeah. fascinating.
0: Yeah, I'll post a link to that article. She was approached to adapt it. Yeah. That's really really interesting <laughs> cuz this um, this kind of it's so fresh and it's so poignant in what it's trying to do. It feels very much like like somebody needed to get this out there and somebody mm-hmm. was, re- you know, somebody wanted this. Uh, yeah. It has that that feel uh, very much of a passion project just down into the the words of it, man. I will say, like I said, I'll post a link to the screenwriter's
1: take on this, but she had an interesting thought about comedy, which I wasn't really aware until I read and got a better sense of Emma how it is more Shakespearean in that way of, mm. oh, it's all subtext. And people say things, but they mean one thing, but mm-hmm, somebody mm-hmm. else interprets it this way.
0: It's all about being clever versus being direct. See, and that's the difference between the page and the, and the film. On the page, you you only have the words that they give you. You can try to go beyond that, but yeah. the, wor- the words they give you. With the film, you can have, here are the words. Here are the exact same words. Mm-hmm. But here is a cutaway to a reaction of somebody else. Uh, yeah. giving a particular reaction mm-hmm. against the words you're listening to yeah. that then creates comedy. It's har- it's harder to do <laughs> yeah. that that visual, live. like I was trying to say earlier, living between the the, the glances and looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, you can't do that on the page. Yeah. That's why cinema is so successful as an art form because it brings the magic of a moment that you can't really yeah. nail down.
1: Yeah, this screenwriter had said in terms of the comedy versus, and you think if she's winning the Man Booker Prize, like her other stuff is real serious, mm-hmm. more tragic kind of stuff. But she was saying in terms of comedy, if Aristotle's writings on comedy had survived, we might esteem it more highly as an art form. We only have his notes on tragedy, so we treat it as loftier than comedy. Mm. And she said, I mean, I agree with this too, that sometimes it can be more revelatory of human truth, less bound by conventions. I loved this phrasing that I'll quote exactly that she used because She said, and in the end, they got married is automatically lazy and generic, (laughs) whereas and in the end, they killed each other is automatically audacious and profound. But it's like just an arbitrary prejudice towards that being an end. And she's saying like comedy doesn't just offer that laughter. It's the reminder that change is difficult and it's usually undesired
0: and sometimes ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but it's proof of love. Or how obvious things were, and you had no idea. That's a lot of this is being led by a character who feels that they have they have something to impart to everyone around them, but on the inside, really, is so blind to what's so yeah. obvious to everybody else. Yeah. Quickly, for people who haven't read the book or seen the movie or seen another version of the movie, uh, Emma is just about an affluent uh, young girl who is playing matchmaker, basically, with all of her friends, and trying? she's trying to do well. She's trying to like have them shoot kind of above their belt, trying to bring them up to her level, which is really an odd odd conflict of, like, who do you think you are is Mm -hmm. very much, I think, at the heart of a a lot of what these stories are trying to say. But all set in
1: Regency England, so people are very much defined by their social class, and because she is of a very wealthy family, she doesn't have to get married, so she never even tries to until the very end, of course, but... That is not a concern of hers, whereas if somebody is in a lower station, it is a concern yeah. of theirs. Yeah, so she true. is missing all of that, I guess, pathos Absolutely. in her yeah. life.
0: So it's just a story about a blind teenager finally yeah. figuring out maybe who they are, but more importantly, who the people around them actually are.
1: Yeah. And really, as with Jane Austen, there's a ton of characters and interweaving. He said this, she said that. Yeah. This person goes to this ball and thinks this person is So gossipy! Yeah. <laughs> all this stuff. But... The main people I feel like that you and Evan feels like that you might need to know is Harriet who is her friend? Mm-hmm. Who then she kind of treats like a Barbie doll, uh, a yeah. bit of
0: just trying to play, you know, trying to get her to be Emma in a lot of ways. And she or is do what a, Emma yeah. would do,
1: and she's of a lower station. And at first, she wants to marry this guy who's of a lower station, and she's like, "No, that's going to you make, can do better." Yeah, you he's know? much lower than you. Like you should marry mm-hmm. a little bit higher than him. And then the other person is George Knightley, who is older, much older than her in the book, around her age in the movie. Yeah, and, it
0: was not. So I have I realized after the fact that in the book, that is one major difference that he is much older in the movie. Yeah. They're pretty comparable. And he's kind of the voice of
1: reason to her flightishness in terms of mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. getting
1: her nose in everybody's lives. And then, of course, by the end, it turns out that she actually is interested in him.
0: Throughout the film, it's very much as Emma goes off and makes some mistake and Mr. Knightley and her come back to like talk about it and mm-hmm. somebody's actually coming to her and be like, do you understand what you just did? It's really fascinating. That is
1: kind of the setup of the first half of the book. It's like mm-hmm. every other chapter, she does something and then they talk <laughs> about what she should have done.
0: Yeah, that's very present in the film. I, I suspect, I don't know outright, but I suspect that the film and the book are really, really similar. Mm-hmm. She uh, definitely my... took whole passages. Mm, I really saw
1: right. in an interview that the screenwriter did from the book. So the dialogue is verbatim what's wow, in the book cool. for a lot Good. of it. I, that, that's how it felt. That's what I was hoping. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this guy who plays George Knightley, Johnny Flynn. Do you know anything about him? No,
0: I've never seen him in anything. I fell in love with him immediately. He's a
1: very famous British musician. Really? And this is where the music angle ties in with this director. Yeah, she called up a musician friend of hers in England and said, if you were to pick a British actor who you would have a crush on, who would it be? And this person that was her friend was like, yeah, my fiance would marry him. I'd marry him. He's amazing. (laughs) He's perfect. So I
0: can say- He's perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, it's I never I didn't know who he was. I was like how do yeah, I not know who? He I was? I had heard his music a long time ago just really? I was in, interested in indie music. In high school, yeah, and I yeah, I picked yeah. up on him, and then I looked him up more. He is going to be David Bowie in Stardust, the biopic that's being oh made my god. about
0: David Bowie. <sighs> oh my god, that is going to be wild! He'll yeah. be perfect. And I think that's
1: supposed to come out this year or next year.
0: I mean, who well, knows? Now we don't know, but so, <laughs> so but it's soon, but it is made You yeah. <laughs> know <laughs> that'll be, that's
1: fascinating. Is yeah. it based on a? Is there a book? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But yeah, I, I that, those are the characters and the main actor, at least for the George. I know Anya Taylor Joy. You already mentioned was in The Witch. Yeah, the, yes, the girl that plays yeah, Oh, Emma. I didn't even realize that
0: it's the same. It's the girl that plays Emma is in The Witch. Oh my god, yeah. I did not, I did not even realize that. <laughs> yeah, so she's blowing up. Absolutely. Oh, she's she's a big face, and and with her, uh, she immediately elevates the film just having somebody like that in it. Uh, mm-hmm. That she is definitely the star of it. Yeah.
1: And just to tie in, Evan was clueless about that she was in the same thing. Uh, there's another movie
0: called <laughs> Clueless that's based off of Emma. If you didn't know, the 1990s touchstone <laughs> cultural classic Clueless right. is almost verbatim Emma. You take everything in Emma, or the social status, the every everything. And you say, well, what would that be like in 1990s Beverly Hills? I was kind of shocked when we were trying to figure out what this episode was going to be earlier in the week. I had totally forgotten that there was any literary basis of Clueless whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then, as we, so, I immediately went into watching Emma and I'm watching Emma and realizing that it's the same plot as Clueless. I've it's seen one Clueless to one. a few times. Yeah. It is the exact same thing. And I got to say, it really made me appreciate Clueless a lot more. <laughs> and this comes down to the writing and the direction uh, from Amy Heckerling. Amy Heckerling had done Fast Times at Ridgemont High just before this. And this is kind of where the genesis of Clueless is. Classic uh, high school movie. Exactly. The studio execs had to, had a success with Fast Times and a new director. And they went, well, we want to do something like that. But we want to make it about the in crowd. And immediately, Amy kind of snarls her nose at this and goes, well, I don't know. I'll do it if I can make fun of them. Because uh, nobody <laughs> wants
1: to yeah.
0: just write about and popular so people. She went <laughs> off and, and wrote a pilot. And this is how it started. And it had a lot of the the characters that ended up in the final thing. But it started as a TV pilot mm. uh, about a, a girl trying to find the perfect prom dress. And then it started evolving and she ended up realizing on her own that she was writing a very Emma-esque character. Decided to revisit the book and went, my God, this is already so much in the sphere of what I'm already doing. I might as well just make it Emma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll have to do some more research on this. I, I should have, forgive me before the show, but this I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong out there, but I okay. think this this actually started a, a a weird subgenre of 90s teen movies based on books based mm-hmm. on old literature not well, like, most of them aren't right
1: walk to remember <laughs> is nicholas sparks one.
0: Oh gosh that's set, that's originally set <laughs> in the 50s but then it's right, the 90s, right that kind of thing yeah there's like well, there's one for othello there's <laughs> i mean there's a ton there's yeah. really is over a dozen of these most of them don't don't reach you know mu- almost none of them get to where clueless does um but this i would say is the beginning of of this strange thing that goes, it, it, it permeates well into the the early two thousands of mm-hmm. making teen movies, but uh, you know, echoing old literature through them.
1: Yeah, she, I, I had seen. She was saying when she started seeing Emma, who is like manipulating in different people's lives, fiddling with things like mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. She said it's not that different from being a movie director. Oh, and she yeah. She was like, if Emma was alive today, she'd probably be directing films. That's <laughs> she just that part of that character where she yeah. just is slightly interjecting and she's always got a little bit of her hand in a, in a piece of
0: everything. Mm -hmm. That's what a movie director does. Absolutely. I, I I think I saw that interview as well. And I went, I laughed out loud at that Mm -hmm. and I went, yeah, probably not too far off. Mm -hmm. Um, now now, what has Amy Heckerling been doing what is the last thing she's been she did
1: a movie called Vamp which then had also still had Alicia Silverstone in it oh really about vampires yeah I think that was close to the most recent biggest popular thing
0: Alicia Silverstone the star of Clueless if you don't know she started her career this is how she got found for Clueless by starring in Aerosmith videos music videos wow Amy saw her in an Aerosmith video they were they they were all over town (laughs) I mean Reese Witherspoon from last week she was about to nab this role, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Th- these were the type of people that were really circling like sharks. This uh, yeah. this role, but Amy saw Alicia Silverstone in an Aerosmith video and said, "This is her. This is Cher." They renamed her for Cher for Clueless, but this is our quote unquote Emma. Yeah, <laughs> that's how she ended up getting going, and and she's still working today. And she ended up being Batgirl a couple years after this. I mean, became a big, mm-hmm. uh, almost a sex symbol of the of the late '90s by yeah. the, by the late '90s. Um speaking to the music video aspect of this and the connections between
1: even more modern times there's a song called Fancy by Iggy Azalea hmm? and the music video won a bunch of awards but it's the like literally clueless and some similar scenes from it and they're wearing the same wardrobe and it's them in the oh, you know man, in the I tennis courts that. and it's them in the classroom and all that stuff filmed at the same high school
0: in California in Los Angeles <laughs> where they filmed clueless I lived down the street from circus liquor uh, yeah. kind of featured heavily in a sequence in clueless but uh, Amy the director of clueless saw this music video
1: fancy I, I saw she said it looked like they had more money than I did <laughs> to make this music video but she loved it she said it was great but like Aww. you said it still transcends because clueless oh, yeah. is now a cult classic. Probably on its way to a classic. No, I,
0: yeah, I, I'm after after studying it like this, I think I'm pretty well certain that this is going to be this is going to be regarded as a classic as we continue rolling on, or at least what people look at as school and Beverly Hills
1: and kids of the '90s. When I,
0: when we introduced it, I said a touchstone, a cultural classic touchstone, uh, yeah. and I think that's what it's going to be of its of its moment. It yeah. certainly is a movie very much of its moment, and I think. That is why almost it will be remembered because it was so tapped into just what it was really like at that time and place. Yeah. Uh, Amy and, and many of the filmmakers sat in on real high school classes just to make sure because they' trans they're, they're translating from Jane Austen to 90s Beverly Hills.. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a staggering job that they've done. And yeah. it's it this what I mean by this is that this movie is so good, you could watch this and Emma almost back to back and never know they were based on the same thing even though they're that close to each other. That's how good Clueless is. I did see there was one more interpretation of this
1: that happened at exactly the same time. So there is a film called Emma that came out in 1996. Clueless came out in 1995. This is the version that stars Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> The director, Doug McGrath, wanted to do a modern version of Emma set in New York City. And he was unaware that Clueless was already in production. He was clueless about it. (laughs) Wow. Like, well, we can't do this at all. So they set it in Jane Austen times in the 1800s with Gwyneth Paltrow. This was kind of the jumpstart to her career. Mm -hmm. She had Mm -hmm. been in one other minor thing before this, but then she really blew up. But I think this one did not do as well because... As her star status grew, she, as Emma the character, appears less humbled by the end of the film than she does in the novel. Really, and so I, that was one of the criticisms that I saw of it. That's um, fascinating, but odd that it was happening
0: at the exact same time, and still was not regarded. as Yeah, much. you don't even remember it. Like, right. and it's got it's got a big name in it, mm-hmm. and, it and certainly it was produced by by uh, what studio with wherewithal. Yeah. I didn't even know it existed until looking into Clueless.
1: Yeah. But that happened at the exact same time. But that brings us to
0: back to the olden
1: book from the 1800s that Jane Austen wrote and why that holds sway in these stories mm-hmm. and what she was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Just as a couple of refreshers. Because like we said, we did do Jane Austen a long time ago. If you do want a more exhaustive take on yeah, we what did Pride and about. Prejudice, yeah, Yeah, we did Pride and Prejudice. That's episode four. But just a little take on it. Her books were all published anonymously. So it said written by the author of Sense and Sensibility. We had said that she got no recognition in her time and women were not supposed to be writing at this time. And so nobody knew that she was the one doing this. She is one of the first people to use this literary device called free indirect speech. Hmm. So it's a third person omniscient narrator, but instead of saying he thought or she thought, you just say it and go into the character's head, so it's a bit more ambiguous as to whether it's the character's opinion of what's happening or the narrator's objective opinion of what's
0: happening. That's interesting because Clueless has a voiceover from Cher the entire time, mm. speaking just like that. I'd have to say that was be what they were trying to do right. cinematically. And That's so you're like, this is and- Emma, ha- and the new Emma has no voiceover; mm. it's just straight out. Um, that's, it. that's really interesting. <laughs> but that Jane Austen is regarded as the first person to really
1: use this. And now it's used all the time. We don't even think of it as yeah. a literary device because it's like, oh, yeah, I have a narrator and I just go into the thoughts of one of the characters.
0: She she pioneered that. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. God. Um. So that's what she's known for. And it's huge in Emma because, like we said, it's all about what is this person saying versus what do they actually mean? And then in the third layer, what is the other person thinking, which they thought they meant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she is also one of the people that transitions to sort of a literary realism she's sort she's an odd mix of in between two phases of writing mm. um before her in the age of reason and after her the romantic period mm-hmm. so like we said a big theme of hers is directness not cleverness mm-hmm. and so people might think she's a little bit more conservative because she's tied back into the old age of reason versus the newer romantic emotions, independence, that kind of stuff. And that's where people get confused, I guess. The ending can be a little confusing like with her being in the middle of these two time periods because they're saying, is it really happy because she does exchange her independence and energy and wit as this person who's doing all this matchmaking, even though she is clueless in her own life for a subservient marriage Mm -hmm. for the time. And she gives up, like we mentioned this character, Harriet, she gives up her intimacy with her because now Harriet is married into a lower station. But it seems like she pays no mind to that. It's just better that she's in an appropriate match versus trying to rise above class.
0: Right at the end, and that's where it lands in the film is. Uh, well, she's happy, and that's more important. And Obviously, they're meant to be together. There's a, something in particular that they do with the casting mm-hmm. uh, in both of the in both Emma and Clueless. But uh, where the casting is subtly; it's way more over the top in Clueless. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but that's the common. That's it's so funny because of that. But in Emma, it's very subtle, and the casting is cluing you in to who is meant for who, obviously. Mm-hmm. Very clearly. Yeah. It's like the screen is screaming at you. These are the matches here. Yeah. Quit getting in the middle of it. Stop this madness. Mr. Knightley, just stop.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so one of, one of the other themes that then comes up, barring the ending, is her and her intelligence and the fact that, like, Jane Austen is potentially speaking to her own issues in this time and place where she is a smart, independent woman. She never got married. Mm-hmm. She rejected people wow. who wanted to get married to her. But the fact that with Emma, the only thing she can really do is guide these marital situations of other people around her. Mm-hmm. In the book, one of the other characters, Jane, compares a governess profession, which is like just being a female servant, essentially, yeah. to a household. To like that start. That's the start of the book is... Emma's governess gets married, and so now she's lonely, and her sister is also off in London married, so she's the only lonely girl in this rich, empty house, so of course she's going to meddle in other people's affairs. (laughs) But this woman, Jane, in the book compares the governess profession to the slave trade, Mm. meaning like a working woman is worse than just an idle, rich woman Hmm. of status. But by the end, you see that it's like marriage offers a chance to participate in courtship proposals, doing something yeah. as a woman. Like, if that's your only role in this society, why would it's maybe even worse to deny that? So these are the questions I that Jane Austen is bringing up.
0: It, it, it speaks to me, seeing the difference between Emma and Clueless, is that the societal restrictions on Emma are just, inc- are just insurmountable, honestly. Mm-hmm. And in Clueless, you know, fast forward society and culture a few hundred years, all those things that were restrictive for Emma can be changed for Cher and all of her friends Mm -hmm. in Beverly Hills. That is the, the interesting thing here for me, thinking about Jane Austen is... Hearing about strong women working within the framework of the societal class that they are given in in the moment, I you know I've had arguments with like friends about uh, Jackie Kennedy wasn't a feminist. She was the idea here is that as a woman and as as a woman of stature, you're not exactly able to change and and manipulate and and and, and decide for yourself mm-hmm. who you are and what you're going to be doing. Uh, if you don't like it, it's really hard. To get out of that, we went through this with Little Women a few episodes yeah. again uh, ago, and we see it again here: is of women trying to operate within the structure they're given. The difference is when you can recontextualize this to 1990s Beverly Hills, you see kind of how archaic that way of living was, how restrictive yeah. it was. It doesn't get rid of all the problems, but it definitely shows you, that, I guess, the progress of our culture. Well, that's uh, what they're, they're saying. We instead can change of, yeah. these things.
1: Instead of J- they saying like Jane Austen is such a conservative writer of the time, like she's reverted back into a different <laughs> writing style. It's like, if you look at the history of it, as these writers are coming about in the romantic period that identify with individual freedoms, passion, and intensity, romantics were almost exclusively male. And at that time, women were denied the freedoms of expression Mm. in terms of travel, sexuality, adventure, military status. Like They didn't have any of the stuff that the male romantic writers were writing about. So her commitment to reason and intelligence and resourcefulness is within, like you said, the there women's sphere yeah. of influence at in that time. And it seems bizarre. It's like, well, why wouldn't she be on the site? It's like, well, maybe she was just an early feminist saying these things exactly. should be questioned.
0: Working within the system before the system has progressed and changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it takes the thought from within the 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 misjustice
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to, to go, wait, it could work differently. It could be differently. We can hold on. This doesn't write. It starts there. Mm hmm. But just because you're in that sphere doesn't mean you're part of the problem either. You have to be in there to understand what's happening to you, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I've I've I, I feel like I run into this argument a lot with like people trying to draw lines in the sand about about feminism and where mm-hmm. you know where you're part of the problem. You're not part of the problem if you're inside the machine and seeing the machine going wrong. And you start to talk about that, that's the beginning of a movement. Yeah,
1: and just not to get into feminism wholeheartedly, but it is kind of- Here we go. (laughs) How how, I mean, I was reading an article where they're talking about, in regards to Jane Austen, that is a big literary question of, is she a feminist? Is she an early feminist? Is she too conservative? This and that. And it's like, how you kind of define it in relation, define feminism that is in relation to her time and place. And like we said- I'm trying to look at the momentum of motion to motion. It
0: took this to get this to make that happen. Uh, And it keeps going. Exactly, exactly.
1: And that's why this is talked about forever because there are no questions answered and we continue to question at the end of the book, how can she be intelligent and then be so wrong so often? <laughs> yeah. How does does Jane Austen expect us to sympathize with her? Or do, do we want us like, are we supposed to criticize her? And that ties into her style mm-hmm. in terms of the free and direct speech. Are we supposed to believe what her thoughts are yeah. or believe what she's saying or believe what other people are saying? And then is the ending happy or is it not happy? Yeah based on who you are in, in life and where <laughs> things might go. Like all of those are questions yeah. that this work brings up that then can be changed into modern times or be remembered in older times yeah. in the case of Emma that just came out, which is why it's read so often and changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turned into a
0: million things. Adapted on every corner, man. And you don't even know it. That's the beautiful thing. I'm not like with the Clueless. I mean, it's just like not- We're clueless. <laughs> I, I never imagined- that's so why I love this show, that it would grow my appreciation for Clueless because of Jane Austen and Emma. Yeah, <laughs> The ways that we're, that these things um, connect and keep going are, are just fascinating, and that's, mm-hmm. that's why we do this. Speaking lastly mm. to the comedy of the new movie,
1: Emma, if you notice on Wikipedia and on the poster, there is a period at
0: the end of the word Emma. Saw some, yeah, okay. I don't know what you're going to say, but I know that there's a reason, and it's interesting. I, I, I saw, a, pe- I saw like a headline or something about it, but I didn't actually click it. Well, yeah, so I looked please, at this. Yeah, over. please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just says, Emma with a period, or a full stop
1: if you're not from America. No, I, I yeah. remember
0: scrolling past it and being like, oh, interesting, and then I didn't click it. Well, for here for I am clicking reason. on yeah. it.
1: Because <laughs> I thought, oh, this is the last book that Jane Austen wrote, or is this the, supposed to be the authority on this story? Hmm. The director of the film said, no, it's a period film, and then laughed in an interview, <laughs> and that's why it's got a period at the end, which shows you kind of the tone
0: and the whimsy yep. that the new movie has, yeah, and that this that director has <laughs> through and through. That is that is the it's the film lives on that kind of delight of uh, yeah, it's a period film, <laughs> yeah, so we put a period at the end. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I have to say I I didn't know what to expect. I'm not I don't know if Emma is something that I would necessarily chose to watch for myself, but I I am so glad I did. Now it's now it really will be something that I return to over and over again. I yeah. I, I love the movie.
1: Check out our links, check out the trailer. If this is interested in you go check
0: out Clueless again. Um yeah, if you've never seen Clueless, man, uh it it's fun and it, it is and it's worth It's not just just fun as we have gone over today. Yeah. Um so check it out it's, it's really worth it don't sleep on it it will be a classic I'm telling you now and a shout out a shout out to Bolivia. We got an, an incredible comment, uh, incredible message from Bolivia and we just wanted to, to say, hey, thank you. We love and you. And thank you, all our listeners. If you want to reach out, let us know what you think. Let us know what we should talk about. Yeah, if you got if you got a, a movie, a book, show, something, you know, any of that kind of stuff you think would make for a good episode, don't hesitate to get in contact with, with us on our Instagram. At IlliteratePod on Instagram. Thank you so much. Alright, guys.
1: See you later.